0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. How are y'all doing today? You doing good? You're here and that's an accomplishment. You know that? Look at the person next to you and say, well done, friend. We've been in a few crazy weeks of COVID, but we're pushing through, amen? All right, you guys, uh, are you guys ready to go today? I really need to know that you're ready to go today, because we are going to be covering a lot of ground. Do you guys like that when we do that? Some of you are like, I don't know, what do you mean by that? Well, let's just go with it. Let's just see what happens. Uh, We are in part seven of our Book of Luke series, and today we finally do the first deep dive into what is the the tagline or the the tagline of the series, meaning miracles everywhere. We're going to be talking about Jesus, the miracle worker. Um, And that's the title of the message, the miracle worker. And we're going to, we're going to start in Luke four. And just as a reminder, if you know the gospel of Luke, the first three chapters are really about the birth of Christ and it's about John the Baptist, but then Luke four is where the ministry of Jesus really begins and so we're going to start there. I'm going to start in verse 31. We're jumping straight in. And then it, sa- it says this. Then he, meaning Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath, and he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Everyone say authority. authority. Now say authority with authority. authority. Mm. Nice. <laughs> in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So even the demons believe, right? That's what's going on here. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before all of them, and he came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are? With Authority, there's that word again, and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon, who would later become Peter. And Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So she bent over and rebuked the COVID in her. I mean, mean, the fever, the fever in her. uh, We got it. It's been around a while, as in year 19, COVID-19. Yeah, uh, so he got up once again and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So Luke 4 begins the ministry of Jesus. And right there at the beginning, boom, we got miracles everywhere, right? It's like casting out demons, healings happening, people shouting out, you are the son of God. It's going crazy right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. We get to that point where Jesus is changing everything about everything. And then I want to skip ahead all the way to Luke 19 for just a moment. In Luke 19, we're coming near the end of his ministry. So we started in the beginning, we're coming near the end. This is right before his crucifixion. He's entering into the city of Jerusalem. And this is what it says in Luke 19, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. You all know that place, just past Fig Tree Row. I don't know. The whole crowd of disciples, that was funny for me, nobody else. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So here we are at the end, right? It's miracles everywhere. Everywhere they look, there's miracles. They're praising God. It says in the Gospels that there are 37 specific miracles that Jesus performs. But that doesn't even count the examples of what we just read like in Luke 4, where it says a whole line of people showed up at sunset. And they, they were just going through one at a time, and Jesus was laying hands on them and healing them. That doesn't even count those, right? It's, there's, there's way more than just the 37. There's 37 we have specific detail about, but it says over in John chapter 20, verse 30, it says that Jesus performed many other signs. Now, signs is just another word for miracles. Signs is just another word for miracles. There you go. It says it's, they perform many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even recorded in this book. So what they're saying is, John's saying is, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff that went down that you don't even know about. Like he was doing more than we could even write down which means that there, the, what these 37 miracles that we read about in the Gospels, is just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's just, it's just the start of something that he was doing that was much bigger than we even comprehend. So Jesus is the miracle worker. It's not Jesus was a miracle worker. It's not Jesus is a miracle worker. It's not like Jesus needs a miracle. No, it's Jesus is the miracle worker. Now this is important for us as a church to kind of believe in this. This is, in fact, we have six values as a church. And I'll just throw those on screen just to be as a reminder of the things that we believe around here. So if you're like, what is OKC community all about? What do they value? Who who are they trying to become? What's the kind of church they wanna be? Well, we are all about many things, but we start with these six. We are all about reaching people, extravagant love, passionate devotion, courageous faith, spiritual family, and doing things that matter. Give it up for the values, right? And so I want to point us to this value of courageous faith, though. Courageous faith, this is how we define it. There's a little tagline that goes with each one of these values, and this is how we say it here, that we are high faith. God can do anything people. So we courageously trust God for provision, breakthrough, healing, and miracles. Everyone say miracles. miracles. Psalm 77, 14 says, You are the God who performs Miracles. You display your power among the peoples. This is what we believe. We believe that the hand of God performs miracles. We believe that Jesus is the miracle worker. We even believe that the Holy Spirit works within us as his people to do his work, enables us with supernatural ability, gifts us with the ability to be a part of his miraculous work. Listen to what Jesus says about why he even does miracles. We're going to go over to, again, the book of John for just a moment, chapter 10. He says, don't believe me. Don't believe me. I thought we were used to saying, Jesus saying, believe in me. He says, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. Everyone say work. Work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous work that I have done, even if you don't even believe in me, because then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. This is an incredible statement by Jesus. He is hanging his entire ministry and his entire credibility on the evidence that is provided through miraculous works being done. Like he's saying, listen, if I don't do miracles, you don't even have to believe me. But if I do miracles, how are you going to deny me? Jesus goes on about these works. In John 14, 12, he says, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. They will even do greater things than these. So Jesus then says, hey, by the way, all this stuff I've been doing, the thing that I hang my entire ministry on, the miraculous works of God will continue through those who believe in Jesus. Wow. Oh, let me pause. I told you we were going to cover some ground today. We've already covered quite a bit. We're just getting started. You guys Good. Just checking in. You good to go? We still ready to keep going? Okay, we're about um, yeah, we got about two more hours. Here we go. What? <laughs> what is a miracle? Here's a question I have for you. What is a miracle? What is a miracle you hope that God will do in your life? And I know that's like, I, I don't know. I don't think about that often, but I want you to really open your heart to that today. Maybe it's a miracle that you want Him to do in your life. Maybe it's a miracle that you want Him to do for someone you know. Maybe it's a miracle you want Him to do in some place that you're a part of. Like. Maybe it's maybe for your workplace or for this church or for some for your home. I don't know. What is a miracle that you hope God will do? I want you to start allowing that question to enter your heart today because I do believe that Jesus is the miracle worker. And in the book of Luke, I thought about going through all the miracles in the book of Luke today, but it's just it would take too long. It just continues to come one after another, miracle upon miracle. And it starts with a bang in Luke 4, right? Like just boom, right out of the gate, miracles everywhere. And it just keeps coming through the story of Jesus. And most of us are familiar with it. If we've been around church, we've read the gospel. But I, I think a lot of us also are aware that if the miracles of Jesus are some of the most crazy, most wild, most powerful, maybe even most unbelievable stories in the history of the world. Which to me means that they either lead to the greatest conspiracy and fraud ever played on the world. Or they point to the validity of Jesus is who he said he was. The miracles are the proof he is who he said he was. They're proof of his love, his compassion, his care for us. Or they point to the fact that we've all been duped. And at some point, isn't this what miracles do? We either dismiss miracles or we defend them as true. C.S. Lewis famously said in his classic book, Mere Christianity, this is a longer quote, but I think you'll like it. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the, the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He said, you can't say that. This is one of the things that you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, which is very British of C.S. Lewis, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, and you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come in with any patronizing nonsense about a nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis makes the case that Jesus is either a lunatic, he is the devil of hell, or Jesus is who he said he was. He can't be anything else. So Jesus and his teachings, the miracles, the stories of Jesus, they are either the most epic conspiracy and great hoax the world has ever known, or these stories about Jesus are absolutely true because we believe he he is who we said he was. And if they are true, we have to ask ourselves, what do we really believe about the miraculous in the here and now? Because here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, well, is it possible to believe that the Bible is true, but I don't really believe in miracles today? And of course, that's possible. And in fact, that's actually a, a doctrine of in the church, and it's called the doctrine of cessationism, meaning... The doctrine of cessationism cessationism believes that the miracles of Jesus, even the miracles of the apostles that we read about later in the New Testament, are absolutely true. So there is a belief that believes that the Bible is 100% accurate, 100% true, but that the age of miracles ended way back then. It was only for then, it's not for now. That's a doctrine of thinking that people have. And if I was going to say, or do you fall on that, you would say a lot of people, a lot of Christians that haven't really done a lot of deep thinking about this, deep prayer about this. They think, well, I'm not really a cessationist. I believe that God can do anything. I believe that if God wants to heal someone, he can. But, but our first reaction for a lot of us is whenever we hear a miraculous story, we kind of question it and we doubt it. Our first reaction is doubt more than belief. So even though we might not be a cessationist, we're a doubter. And I would say for me, during my formational years of life, if you will, I was a semi-cessationist and a cautious doubter of miraculous tales. Anybody with me? Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't have said amen to that, but... Uh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. When I was 27 years old, I started my master's study at the school um, called Fuller Seminary, and my coursework was through the School of Mission and Theology in the Department of Intercultural Studies, which I know what you all are thinking. Snooze fest! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I get it. It, it was... It was kind of that even. But um, but in that program, I was in a cohort of other students from all around the world. Uh, I had friends who were missionaries from um, Uganda, South Africa, Thailand. Uh, I even had a friend who was from the distant land of Kansas City, you know, just all over the world, right? And during those three years I was in this program, I heard several stories from my classmates about ministry that was happening in other parts of the world where miracles were happening on a routine basis and particularly what I'd hear a lot about is is healings that were happening and miraculous things that they weren't just seeing or hearing about but they were a part of and up to this point in my life my only experience with miracles in the modern day world was either reading the bible and reading about what happened in the bible or you know occasionally flipping through the channels and seeing those, what used to be called faith healers, right? As I'm flipping through the channels and doing kind of healing ministry. That was like my experience with it at this point. And so other than that, I, I never heard much about miracles. It was a rare testimony. And typically it was something around, oh, God's timing, the miracle of God's timing, or the miracle of, oh, that person was so far from God and God radically saved them, which are miraculous things. But anything that I would hear in the context of, uh, some sort of supernatural sign and wonder, I would typically go, I don't know, not so sure. And so my first reaction was typically to be a cautious doubter of these sorts of testimonies. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I feel like some of you are going to relate to this, because I believed in God. I even believed that God could heal someone, God could do anything. I believed that, yet all. Yet I'll also admit that the first time, as I said, the first time I would ever hear an incredible miracle story, it was usually full of doubt. And I would think something smells a little fishy here, or maybe this person is trying to manipulate, or maybe this person is trying to get attention, or perhaps perhaps this wasn't even supernatural at all. It was just a natural healing. The person got better through medicine or through time, and we're calling something supernatural that was just a coincidence. During those years of that cohort where I started to hear these testimonies from people that I love and I care about and I trust, I started to think a little differently. And I started reading other people like Leslie Newbegin, which, again, for some of you might be, you know, snooze-fest reading, but he was an amazing author and missionary who always included the existence of the miraculous work being done around the world when the ministry of Jesus is taking place. In fact, one of Newbegin's great additions to Christian writing is this theory called the myth of progress. And here's a little bit about Newbegin's view. Again, another long kind of quote here. But Newbegin, Leslie Newbegin saw that the church in the West had been co-opted by the myth of progress. The idea that the world is moving forward on an evolutionary trajectory toward greater and greater heights of human knowledge and behavior. Meaning, there is this myth out there that says the world is getting smarter. And in some ways we are. But he's saying, listen to this. He says, people expected Christians to outgrow their silly superstitions, belief in miracles, and their old-fashioned rules, adherence to traditional morality. And Newbegin saw how this secular mindset had infiltrated the thought and practice of his fellow church members. Many of them agreed with their unbelieving neighbors that religion is a personal and private reality, not a message true and powerful for the whole world. So he's saying, listen, there's this myth out there, and it's called the myth of progress, and it's making all of us have less and less faith that God has the power to do anything. So during that season of not only learning from my friends and my cohort, but also reading the likes of Newbegin, I start to kind of reshape my theology to some degree. I start to kind of reconsider some things, and I start to ask myself some better questions. It's called deepening my theology, which by the way, theology is just a Latin Greek word that means the understanding of God, theo meaning God, and ology or logos meaning understanding. And so whenever you can grow your understanding, and here's the thing I know, is that I have not yet attain, nor will I ever attain perfect theology, nor a absolute worldview. God is continually evolving and growing me in some degrees, and I'm sure you too. But how many of you really want to grow your theology, your understanding of God? Anybody? We all do, right? We all want to grow our understanding of God. We all want to have a growing theology. And so when I'm in this season and my theology is being a little bit shaped, what happens is I start to come to the realization and you realize the role that doubt plays in your life. Everyone say doubt. Doubt Doubt is a powerful force in this world. We've all heard the phrase beyond a reasonable doubt, right? This, of course, is a legal term that requires the prosecution in a criminal case to prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that a defendant is guilty, which means that if a jury believes that The defendant is possibly and probably guilty, but the prosecution does a poor job of proving that and leaves room for a reasonable doubt. They're supposed to find the defendant, not guilty. We all know this. One of the most famous cases involving reasonable doubt was with O.J. Simpson. If you're old enough or you've seen the documentaries, you may remember the infamous moment when O.J. Simpson's defense lawyer, Johnny Cochran, has him try on a glove. Remember? Remember this moment? The glove doesn't fit, and so what does Johnny say? He says... If the glove don't fit, you must acquit, right? And what, that happened, what happened in that moment is reasonable doubt. This is one of the major, major things of that case. Reasonable doubt entered into the jury's mind. And so in our judicial system, doubt is a powerful force. Let's take it out of our judicial, judicial system. We talk about what if we doubt someone's ability? Well, we probably dismiss their value right? What if we doubt someone's honesty? Well, we won't trust anything they say. What if we doubt the government? We think that all politicians are corrupt. Now, sometimes, doubt is justified in good. It has a powerful force in both ways. For example, one time we picked up some food that we ordered, we got home, we opened the bag, pulled the food out, and right in the middle of the food we got was a sour cream lid that was in the bottle that the restaurant used that when they squirted it, I guess it just plopped into the food. It was crusty. It was nasty. This was not a good thing. You don't want to see a sour cream lid in the middle of your food. So from that point forward, I had a reasonable doubt that the food coming from that food establishment was not quality work. By the way, today that restaurant has been bulldozed. No joke. <laughs> so we never went back, right? So sometimes, sometimes doubt is good. It has protected me. It has served me. It has helped me discover the truths that I'll hold dear. So hear me say this. If you are here today and you have doubts and questions about God, doubts and questions about the things like miracles and supernatural works, I would say doubt is a powerful force in our world. It can help you. It can be the force that keeps you curious. But if there's a dangerous side to doubt, it's connected to its relationship, and stay with me on this, to Western secularism. This is what New Begin was touching on. You see, in America, our culture is defined by a Western secular worldview. This is what we've all grown up in. And this is what New Begin was so disturbed by. I'll quickly illustrate what I'm talking about. We have in the 1700s, uh, the French Enlightenment happens. And this is where Western secularism is born. It's born out of the French Enlightenment. And if you've heard the word secularism, you probably know that what that is a reference to is our American culture, our Western culture, so to speak. We have a secular worldview. But if you're like, well, I don't really know what it is. Much of what defines our society today is the secular sort of understanding the cornerstones of secularism are two things, materialism and rationalism. Now materialism, are you guys staying with me? Materialism assumes that nothing exists except matter and its movements. Therefore, there are zero supernatural reference points in life. So materialism believes there's no spiritual, only physical. This is one of the cornerstones of secularism. The second cornerstone is rationalism, meaning it proposes that there is a rational Explanation for everything that for every problem there is a rational solution and therefore no room for divine providence, meaning there's no room for the mystery or the power of God. Now, most Christians would never admit, if you will, to a complete secular worldview. We wouldn't do it because we know that there's, if we were fully a follower of Jesus, we know that there's at least the supernatural things and the things like the. Uh, um, the the virgin birth or the resurrection in Jesus or the presence of the Holy Spirit. But secularism has grabbed a hold of the church and used doubt as a force to discredit, dismiss, disagree, and diminish the works of our heavenly father. That's what it's done because when we put a story of miracles in front of us, and our first reaction is the doubt is because we think I'm not sure if it's completely rational. And we also think I'm not sure about the spiritual in this text because, or this instance, because I elevate the material. So we're constantly elevating the material and the rational. And when things come in to compete with that, we don't know what to do with it. Now that's a, that's a commentary on the wider landscape, but you're not like this. (laughs) Praise God. I am thankful to be a part of a church that I think is saying, God, what's possible. And we want to, we want to see you heal, raise up, cast out. We want to see you do stuff. So a lot of us are passionately pursuing the possible and we are not following our doubts. And I'm so thankful for that. But I'm also real, I also realize that in a room like this, there's a lot of high faith and there's a lot of high doubt and the tension exists at the same time. And so I realize that that's where we're at. And I realize I'm just giving you a little history of where it all comes from. Where it all comes from, what, what powers in the world that we've grown up that are continually telling us that it's not okay to believe that God is present and powerful and can do anything in this world right now. There's a lot of reasons that people have said, no, 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 the age of the miracles is over. There's a lot of people who say it's not rational. There's a lot of people who say it's not material. There's a lot, you know, they, there are so many reasons for us to diminish and dismiss the possibilities of God doing something great. And in case you're wondering and you're trying to figure out, well, what do we do about all the crazy stuff, the stuff that does give us a reason to doubt? You know, we all have in our Christian faith, the sour cream lid experience where it's like, that's a reason to not believe, right? We've all seen like the crazy healer. That's a fake, it's a fake thing. Or we've seen the, we've seen the, you know, the, the, the money grabbing corrupt ministry that, you know, I mean, all that stuff is real. And unfortunately, miracles have been mixed up with the mystics and the crooks. And, and, and this has to be expected, though. I'm going to give you one more like old quote. You all ready for it? It comes from Blaise Pascal. He actually addresses this in the 1700s. He says, it appeared to me that the real cause that there are so many false miracles and false revelations is, is that there are true ones. For it would not be possible that there should be so many false miracles unless there were true ones, nor so many false religions, unless there was one that were true. Now, if that just bent your brain into a pretzel, let me explain. He's saying, He's basically saying, hey, everything authentic always has a counterfeit. The original work always tries to get copied. It's why we have counterfeit money. It's why we have fake Jordans. My friend a long time ago bought me a fake Rolex. I love that watch. Here's the deal. There's a reason that there are Folexes and Fabans. Right? There's a reason. It's because... There's only a fake because there's a real thing. Because there is a Rolex, and because there is a Ray-Ban, the Folex and the Fay-Ban exists. You see, the fake actually authenticates the real thing. The fake thing, the counterfeit thing, is actually showing you that the only reason this is fake is because there must be something real. Mm. Mm. So, ma- so no matter if you lean more to believing, no matter if you leave more than believing every miracle story you hear or if you're more of the cautious doubter, the reality remains that doubt is a powerful thing. And here's what C.S. Lewis says, right? He suggests that our doubt should lead us, should force us to more faith or being faithless. One of the two. It should lead us one way or the other. Your doubt is a powerful force. And for some of us, that doubt leads us to a place, maybe not in this room, but in this world, to a place of saying, he's a fraud. And for some people, it leads to saying, he's the Lord. And for you, you if you're in the middle, where you're like, I don't know what I believe. All this is saying is like, listen, like, there is some things and reasons that Jesus did miracles Jesus had a purpose for miracles. Check this out. It was a sign of God's power. I'm going to throw this on the screen, actually. There's, there's There's a purpose in his miracles. We got this up there. There it is. And number one is this. Miracles are a sign of God's presence, love, and power. It's a sign. Signs and wonders, right? It's a sign. If I'm driving to Tampa Bay, to go see the goat Tom Brady play football (laughs) and I see a sign that says Tampa 330 miles. What is it doing? What is that sign? What's the purpose of that sign? It's to point me to Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay (laughs) (laughs) DM me if you want to go, we can go next week. But. It's a sign to point me. You see, miracles are just a sign pointing us where? To Jesus? To God the Father? That's number one. So there's a purpose in them. Number two, miracles authenticate the work and authority of God. They authenticate it. Remember, Jesus hangs his entire ministry on the authenticating work of miracles. It's how you figure out what's the difference between the Folex and the Rolex. And then number three, asking for a miracle invites people to an act of faith over fear and doubt. Jesus was always inviting people to take a step of faith over their fear and over their doubts. And this is actually my favorite part, because nothing has built my faith more over the last 10, 15 years than believing that God can do something. And I always say this, I only ask God because I believe you can. Nothing has built my faith more, even if he doesn't even answer it in full, or maybe he answered it in part, or maybe he doesn't answer it at all. I can still ask, and it builds my faith to believe that I can step in faith over my fear, over my doubts, trusting that even if he doesn't give me what I'm asking for, I'm trusting that he's doing what's best for me. So back to the question I asked a little while ago what is a miracle you hope God will do in your life or for someone or for something and maybe you even consider today what role has doubt played in my life has it limited my faith and my theology my understanding of God has it caused me to dismiss the work that God has done in my life and just doubt it and pass it on instead of allowing it to transform me Miracles come in all shapes and sizes. We know that. Sometimes they are internal miracles of renewal. Sometimes they are physical miracles of provision and healing. And and sometimes they're just miracles of working in our minds, right? So what is the miracle for you that you're hoping for? I actually want to invite you to really consider that today because maybe God wants to really work in your life today this week, do you need him to revitalize your heart? Is that the miracle? I was actually praying this week about today's message, and I had a picture of like a revitalized heart. And you guys know those like, you know, like on the ER shows, like the, 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 the defibrillators, is that what they're called? You know what I'm talking about. And I had this picture of like, like, like spiritual defibrillators that some of us need. That we need our heart revitalized and infused with passion and conviction. That we're, just, we're living above just like a flatline Christianity and he wants to put life back into us. Do you need a revitalized heart? Maybe you need God to do a work in your marriage, meaning it's like, it's, it's just above hopeless right now and I need some help, I need God to do a work of restoration. Perhaps you need him to do a work of healing in your body, like a physical healing. You know, years ago, well, I, as I shared, there was that time when I was just like, I'm not sure what I believe about miracles. And I, I would hear these stories, and they're in other parts of the world. And I think, well, maybe they just happen there and not here. Maybe they only happen in really s- certain types of churches. And well, one time, you know, Christy and I, we went to a worship night, and she's told the story before in her own healing, but we were at a worship night, and Christy had been dealing with. Uh, Foot pain for chronic foot pain, both of her feet for a long time. Like by the end of the day, she was like hobbling around the house, a lot of pain. And we were at this worship night and the guy speaking says, Hey, does anybody need healing today? And Christy stepped into just a moment of stepping out in faith over her fears and her doubts. And it was just a simple prayer. There was no fire from heaven, there was no, you know, mystic kind of moment. It was it was just a simple moment of prayer of faith. And she didn't even know she was healed that night. It was in the coming days and weeks as the pain was gone. She's like, I was healed. And it might have even took her a moment to say, and I was healed that night when I, when I asked for it. And sometimes, sometimes God will do stuff. You know, for me, like I am a witness of the pain that's gone. I'm actually the one who gets to authenticate that work because I get to testify about the work that was done in her life. Maybe you need healing in your mind. God will heal through many things and he'll heal many things through many means over time. Maybe you need to be delivered from sin. Remember it said that Jesus even had the power over the demons and over the darkness and he could cast out the enemy. Maybe you need God to really work in your life to be delivered from something. Or maybe you need God to provide a miracle of provision I wonder how many of you could give a testimony of God providing for you at just the right time exactly what you needed. He does it again and again. He just did it for us this last month. Miracles are a sign, they remind us of His power and love. And when you ask for a miracle, it's always a step of faith over fear and doubt. So I want to give us the opportunity to take that step today. So, to do that, I'm just going to invite you into a time of prayer. So would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to create some space for God to move in us. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Just come into this room, and Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you would do a a work that only you could do today. And I'm I'm going to ask you again, what miracle... Are you hoping God can do? And like there's that that heart of saying, I only ask God because I believe you can, but I trust you with whatever you do. But I want to take a step over fear and doubt today. and I want to ask you for something that I've been afraid to ask. I want to believe in something that I've been afraid to believe. In a moment, we're going to sing a song and during that song, our prayer team will be here. And guess what? They're actually trained to to pray with people who are asking for miracles. They're actually equipped to help you in this moment. We're not just standing up here as just another person. We're standing up here as someone who can help you in a moment like this when you're asking for God to do something you've never asked him for before. But you don't have to come to a prayer person. You can sit at your seat. You can come forward. You can kneel at the altar. There's a lot of ways to come before the Lord. We want to give some time during this song for you to do that. So, Father, we just pray that, Lord, faith would rise up in this room, that there would be a hope of something bigger than just material or rational, that there would be something inside of us that, that comes alive that understands that, God, there's—that that, that you are above all and through all and that you can do all. And so, Father, we just want to pray right now for a, for a time of surrendering and a time of asking and a time of you doing the work that only you can do. God, we trust you in this moment, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Do you stand with us? Stephen's going to lead us in a song, but this song is just a time for us to respond to the Lord. Psalters open, our prayer team will be here. Let's step in and believe over our fears and over our doubts. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.